High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, kamikaze pilots, World War II aficionados, I don't know, people who believe in ghosts, Gus Van Sant stands. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the Slumber Party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Well, I hope you did your homework for this week. Of course, the homework is always hit that subscribe button, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And remember, you can always find older episodes on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Of course, class participation is a huge part of your grade. That's another place where you can get some extra points. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I really, really hope you did your Monday homework and watched Twilight New Moon and listened to that awesome episode with Joe Two and Kate Hudson. Oh, we had so much fun. We bought things on eBay. We played some games. We speculated on the potential futures of Edward, Bella, and Jacob, as we always do. Who's Team Jacob? Nobody. Whatever. Maybe you are. I don't know. Hopefully you listened to that episode. And I hope... You did your homework for today and watched the final Gus Van Sant film we're going to talk about here, Restless. We've talked about four others, so check those episodes out in the archives as well. But today, Shawnee Mead is gracing us with her presence. She did me a solid on this one, and I think it's a great episode. So can't wait for you guys to listen all about Restless. Whoa, whoa, the bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. But as you can kind of tell, I'm in a bit of a rush today, trying to get this episode out. I'm actually on vacation. The foodie films man himself, Kyle Reinfried, is sitting (laughs) across the hallway from me. We're both vaccinated, okay? And yes, the first thing we did was take a vacation together post-pandemic. No, I'm joking. Well, not really, but uh, he's wearing his Hawaiian shirt, ready to go, doing some foodie films episodes down here in one of my favorite towns, Asheville, North Carolina. Long-winded way of saying, let's get on with this episode. Of course, as I said, we're talking restless. So pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother Sydney Bryans, because we're about to get our party on. Let's leave you with a song by Nico. I think it's on the Royal Tenenbaum soundtrack or some Wes Anderson soundtrack. And the song is The Fairest of Seasons. Glass dismissed. That the hour hand is landed at the end 
all that their dreams have given all they had to lend I want to know Do I stay or do I go and maybe try another time And do I really have a hand in my forgetting Now that I've tried Now that I've finally found that this is not the way Now that I turn Now that I feel it's time to spend the night away I want to know Do I stay Well, Shawnee, thank you so much for joining me today and thank you for stepping up. This was this was, this was a hard movie to uh get a guest on no one wanted to be on this movie for whatever reason i don't make i don't want to make it sound like oh and it had to you know you were the only one or anything well you were the only one but not out of desperation i thank you for uh stopping by and, and after watching it i'm like wow you know what you, you ended up i think because of maybe movies you've been on and i know movies you enjoy Probably a good a good guest to have on this film anyway. But before we get into that, Shawnee, why don't you reintroduce yourself to the high school slumber party faithful? All right. Well, hi, everyone. I'm back. Um, it's been a while. But um, yeah, so I'm Shawnee Mead. Are we going over all the high school stuff again? Or have we kind of covered that, really? Well, well you just have to say <laughs> your high school. And again, no team name. We know that. So Yes, yes. Yeah, well, I graduated from high school in 2007 all that long time ago but um but yeah I'm glad to be back and yeah it did actually turn out to be a even though I'd never heard of it and I'd never seen it, it turned out to be a good one to be on an episode about so there we go <laughs> it's been a while but I feel like what was last when you were on the Lost Boys yeah that yeah. was a it was a very good one that was a very important one it was one of our our uh, most listened to ones of last year so Happy to have you back, and you know, I don't think I've forgotten about the Lost Boys since we watched it there. Not that I, I guess I did forget about the Lost Boys between watches, but from that watch, I, I've still had you know uh, the "I Still Believe" by Tim Capello in my head <laughs> since then. Never leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and that other song, like "Cry Little Sister." Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, you could probably get that one in your head, but yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you, yeah. like, I've watched The Lost Boys probably five times since then with friends. Mm. It just, like, reinvigorated <laughs> the silliness and the fun of, of that movie. I, you know, what we do in the shadows helps, you know. <laughs> like, it, But, of course, uh, today we're talking Restless, and this is the final film in our Gus Van Sant series. A series I didn't even know I'd be doing. I kind of just stumbled on. Because he just has a lot of, five teen films, actually. Some known ones, a lot of unknown ones. This is definitely in that unknown category, but I think for different reasons. So, so far we've covered To Die For, Finding Forrester, Elephant, Paranoid Park, and Restless. But, Shawnee, before we get into Restless, you mentioned you never heard of it. I'd never heard of it. Um, mm-hmm. are, you, are you familiar with the work of Gus Van Sant at all? I mean, I've heard of him. I don't think I've ever seen any of his films, but... Um... I definitely know who he is, all of that. But and I don't think I've heard of this one, but I feel like the poster looks familiar. I feel like I've seen that before. So this series came about, and I'm sure slumberers are sick of hearing this, but you never know who's just listening for the first time. But this series came about 
when um, a friend of mine wanted to do this film, Elephant, which is a school shooting movie. It's a sad movie, but it's very like realistic, very you know gritty. He had to reschedule, so I knew another friend was available, and I saw the movie he was doing, To Die For, which might be Nicole Kidman's best film, so highly recommend if you are a Nicole Kidman fan. Hey, that, that's your country person. Yeah, go. Go, Nicole. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> And then I realized they were both Gus Van Sant, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what else he's directed in the teen film genre. Mm. I knew he did Good Will Hunting. I knew he did Milk. Mm. You know, I wasn't too familiar with the other stuff. And when I looked it up, I'm like, whoa, five teen films? That's amazing. Finding Forrester, which was Sean Connery's second-to-last film, ended up being very good, but a very kind of Hollywood film as well. Uh, Mm. Elephant, very grounded, very indie and Paranoid Park is like more indie than indie. Gus Van Zant started when he was doing teens, he started casting people with zero acting experience. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure. Sometimes a good thing, but sometimes yeah. not. It depends, right? Like so for yeah. so for Paranoid Park, his script was only 33 pages long and he was kind of just like act, do your thing. And for <laughs> Elephant, he started shooting without a script. It was kind of, mm-hmm. you know, working on set. So we had gone from big movies, or in terms of Hollywood-style movies, like To Die For, and like you know, after he does Good Will Hunting and that not-so-great remake of Psycho, to what I'm seeing him do more indie films. Yeah, he has Milk in there, and Milk gets a lot of acclaim, and this is his film right after Milk. And w- I was with you, Shawnee. I saw the reviews. Oh. I, even when I was asking guests, I was like, mm. I'm reading what it's about, and I'm not really interested, you know? like it's, So I didn't know what to expect here. Yeah. I thought it might just be very, you know, cliche, manic pixie dream girl who's dying. I was like, hmm, we're just throwing all the tropes in here. But actually, I didn't think it was like that. So I was pleasantly surprised. I'm excited to talk about it for that very reason. Um, the fact that it was that kind of surprise. Um. So if you guys are not familiar with Restless, which I'm pretty sure you're not, (laughs) every week I read the back of the DVD, Blu-ray, VHS. So here goes. Annabelle Cotton is a beautiful and charming terminal cancer patient with a deep felt love of life and the natural world. Enoch Bray is a young man who has dropped out of the business of living after an accident claimed the life of his parents. When these two outsiders chance to meet at a funeral, they find an unexpected common ground in their unique experiences of the world. For Enoch, it includes his best friend Hiroshi, who happens to be a ghost of a kamikaze fighter pilot. For Annabelle, it involves the admiration of Charles it involves an admiration of Charles Darwin and an interest in how other creatures live. Upon learning of Annabelle's imminent early passing, Enoch offers to help her face her last days with an irrelevant abandon, tempting fate, tradition, and even death itself. It's all in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one of those long, big ones, unfortunately. A lot of, uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff when it comes to the production. There's not a a lot of scholarship on this film because it did not do Mm. well. It was Mm. accepted at Cannes, but I think that's just because even from doing this podcast, it seems like everything Gus Van Sant did for a (laughs) 10-year period just got accepted at Cannes. So here's some production notes. It's actually based on a play by someone named Jason Liu. Maybe you playwright fans know him. I I don't know him. But he went to NYU with Bryce Dallas Howard, 
you know, uh, which obviously is very famous, uh, Ron Howard's <laughs> daughter, but not just that, you know. Mm-hmm. Bryce Dallas Howard, of course, you know, she's accomplished actor on, in her own right. She's mm-hmm. She's been directing lately. Uh, she did a couple episodes, I think an episode of The Mandalorian, which was reviewed mm. pretty well. But maybe fans of this podcast know her best, maybe, for for replacing Victoria in the Twilight franchise. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian should have just been right on that little bit of info straight away. <laughs> should have opened with that. <laughs> yes, that that's how I should have like sold this movie. Like, hey everyone, this hey. <laughs> the original play the original playwright, his uh college roommate played Victoria in Twilight. Yes. <laughs> What a, what a hook. <laughs> uh, that would have got you people to volunteer for this podcast. <laughs> but she had, I guess, seen the play and she said, this should be a movie. I'll help you produce it. She showed it to her dad, Ron Howard, the famous Ron Howard. I don't know if he needs an introduction at this point. Um, I mean, I guess we talked about him in American Graffiti. I'm sure he's directed some other stuff we've done. But he liked it and he said he wanted to direct it, but he, he didn't have the time. Well, that, that sounds rude scheduling <laughs> conflicts you know yeah but um his company with brian grazer imagine decided to produce it and bryce dallas howard ron howard and brian grazer are all the lead producers here and they basically got gus van Sant to direct it and to get a gus van Sant, you know that's a good get mm. but that's what makes this different from other van Sant films of the era at this point he's kind of has a free hand to do whatever he wants and i don't know if he necessarily did in this one because it's not based on something i don't want to say he wasn't interested in but the other movies i've covered especially recently he was just like oh this is an interesting topic let's just shoot you know that's not this here this is a you know tightly written love story that he's kind of putting his own um most of the van zant isms in this are with the way it looks the language of the film. And yeah, he does like to capture young people. So there's that. But this definitely, if I was going to say, what are the most, what do you call it? What are the most, uh, what are the best examples of Gus Van Sant's work? As much as I liked or didn't like this film, this wouldn't be on there just because it's, again, he's just hired to kind of do this movie. And that's, that's not downplaying it, by the way. One of uh, Gus Van Sant trademark, though, for this film is that he shot it in Portland, Oregon. That's his hometown. He loves to shoot there. Another thing that uh, I found super interesting, and this is so much more Gus Van Sant than the film ended up being. As an acting exercise, I believe he had the two leads, at the very least, but maybe everyone on set, uh, do a silent version of this film. Mm, yeah, I read that, and I think you can <laughs> get that on the Blu-ray or something. Yeah, it's on the Blu-ray mm. as, as an extra feature. <laughs> And it was like, hey, forget about the script. I just want you to act this film without words. <laughs> and again, and they're like, that's the guy I know. That's Gus Van Sant. I'm, I'm very curious with that one. Mm. But Shawnee, before we get into the actors and like the whole plot of this film and things we liked and didn't like, one thing I really liked, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm sure you agree, is that this is a very pretty looking film. Mm. Yeah, that's sort of what I, that almost struck me like the minute. It started, I was sort of like, hmm. And I think because it sort of, I feel like it was slightly desaturated to kind of add to the sort of, I don't know, indie sort of pretty look about it. But yeah, it was just a really nice looking film. Like I really enjoyed the 
cinematography throughout. Yeah, so Gus Van Sant used the cinematographer he uses the most in his films. Harris Savitas is his name. In terms of this podcast, he shot Finding Forrester and Elephant. And, I mean, honestly, that's the one thing, even from the art of this movie, um, you mentioned that you might have seen the poster or or the cover or Mm -hmm. something. I don't know if I have or haven't, but it feels like I have because all the art of this movie is very pretty. It draws me in. I'm kind of surprised that this movie didn't do well. But here's a hot take, and I'm going to give it early. Uh, <laughs> hot take. <laughs> and, and this is not this is not to plug, uh, you know, another program we're running here in High School Slumber Party. But <laughs> Island Addington and I, as you know, Shawnee, we've started High School Slumber Party AP, which focuses mm-hmm. on a lot of the modern teen films, the contemporary teen films. This almost feels like it's more in that genre, like something based on a YA or whatever, than something mm-hmm. that came out in 2011. Which is, I can't believe it, 10 years ago now. <laughs> I feel like that just happened. <laughs> but couldn't you see this like on Netflix as just kind of one of those films they run, you know? Or yeah, Amazon? Yeah, it definitely or... has that, you know, plot. Like it's the whole Fault in Our Stars thing. Though I think this was made first, but it's very much that in vogue kind of Netflix kind of sick person romance. I love yeah. that kind of stuff. <laughs> as like weird as that sounds, absolutely, mm. absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up The Fault in Our Stars because The Fault in Our Stars really changed everything for the teen genre. We haven't mm. covered it yet, um, but we really should because it keeps coming up, especially with these these uh, modern teen films. Yeah. Part of the reason that I think this movie didn't do well is because a lot of people saw it as A, a Gus Van Sant film, and B... The Fault of Our Stars hadn't happened, so there mm-hmm. wasn't really that market for this. Like, this, people who are going to Cannes aren't looking for these kind of movies, you know? Yeah. Maybe you stream this on Netflix, and I think some teenagers are watching. Mm. I think it's a little ahead of its time. Is it a perfect movie in my mind? No. But I totally see there's a market for this. And I've watched some films that were more popular in the last two or three years that were worse than this film, if that makes sense. And I'm not talking about The Kissing Booth. This is not supposed to be a really shot at The Kissing Booth. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> I'm still hoping the third one isn't set in high school. I'm just I'm really hoping we get a pass and don't have to do that one. <laughs> Netflix, please. Please don't make me. So let, let's talk about the cast. The lead here, Enoch, which the names here are a little interesting, but um, mm-hmm. Enoch Bray is played by a gentleman, young man at the time, called Henry Hopper, who is an unknown at the time and kind of still an unknown. Mm. He, I don't I don't want to sound like a snob, but he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. He only has a couple credits on IMDb. So very curious yeah. that he's the lead in this film. Had you seen him in anything or even um, heard of him? No, I hadn't. But, I mean, he probably got into acting because he has quite a famous father, son of Dennis Hopper. Oh, oh my God! Mm. I didn't even see that. Well, so I looked that. I found it on the Wikipedia page for this because apparently the film is dedicated to Dennis Hopper because he died in 2010. Oh wow! So, um, wow, you know I'm such an idiot. Like I read that it's like you know it's dedicated <laughs> to his father Dennis, and it, I like I didn't I didn't put it together. Wow, yeah, that okay. other Dennis Hopper. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he just doesn't need the money. Maybe that's why he doesn't act that much. Yeah, which sort of means that the film was kind of sort of timely for him i guess because he was experiencing pretty much this film yeah i guess when it was being made with his dad but because i think he 
had cancer as well. So it's unfortunately it kind of this movie was kind of happening to him at the time, which is really awful <laughs> and sad. But very sad, very sad, and you know that mm. adds a different layer and perspective to it. Wow. So Henry Hopper, the lead here, uh, Dennis mm. Hopper's son. Ooh. Thanks, thank you for that trivia fact. That's all right. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I knew uh, the other lead here, Annabelle or Annie Cotton, played by Mia. Mm-hmm. Ooh, let me see if I say this. Is it Wazakowska? Wazakowska? Yes. Okay. Mia Wazakowska. I knew her from the live action. The first one was Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alice in Wonderland films. And she's also Australian. Oh, there you go. Mm. Look at look at the, all the connections for you today. I know. And funnily <laughs> enough, she actually looks like she could be the twin of one of my best friends which is um <laughs> hilarious i mean i think she's a bit younger than us so i think yeah she looks like my friend not the other way around because <laughs> she came later but <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i'm reading about her now a little bit have you heard of the show that she's originally from it's an australian show called all saints a medical drama ah uh, yes <laughs> oh you I know it yeah we've all seen it we know <laughs> <laughs> That one didn't come over to the States, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that's probably all right. I don't think you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, It's very kind of Grey's Anatomy sort of thing, but Australian, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was really great in this movie. Yes, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about the whole Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing uh, in a bit, but I really liked her. I thought her performance stood out, and what do you think of her performance here? Yeah, I thought it was really good. I feel like in sort of every... Thing I've seen her in she kind of has this kind of similar energy but I think she just seems like a really natural actress to me I always feel so I think she's always you know really good in whatever she's in even that awful sequel to Alice in Wonderland was it bad terrible I, 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 oh it was it was really that's bad that's unfortunate <laughs> I like the director mm. I forgot James uh Bobin is his name right I think he's He's the one who works with Flight of the Concords a lot, so that's why I like him. <laughs> but mm. unfortunately, unfortunately, I guess he didn't do a good job there. Maybe it wasn't his <laughs> fault. I don't know. <laughs> mm, uh, yeah, I don't. I think it was everyone's fault. <laughs> Just not me as, but it was everyone else's. <laughs> So not a big cast here, so I figured I would just say all the principal leads here. Hiroshi, who is the ghost of the kamikaze pilot, an interesting mm. character who we could definitely talk about. Um, he's played by Ryo Kase, or Kas. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing uh, your name, <laughs> guy who played Hiroshi. Uh, Skylar Fisk played Elizabeth Cotton, and mm. I'd seen her in a bunch of stuff. We talked about her here many eons ago in a film called Orange County. She's got a famous mother as well. She's Sissy yes. Spacek's daughter. So mm-hmm. Hopper Spacek. <laughs> <laughs> These famous kids. <laughs> and, and she plays Annabelle's older sister. Jane Adams plays Enoch's aunt. She's she's in a bunch of stuff. I've talked about her on a Philip Seymour Hoffman, my Philip Seymour Hoffman podcast because she was in Happiness with Him. She was in Frasier. She's in You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. I forgot about that. You're she right. She was that, like, the reporter <laughs> when Frank's kind of like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, yeah. And she was on Frasier. I think she was Niles' second wife. Something. Mel. Yes. yes. Mel. Briefly. Yes. <laughs> then she ended up marrying Donnie. It's a whole thing. <laughs> this is not a Frasier podcast, so. <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so just rounding out the principles. Chin Han. 
played Dr. Lee, Annabelle's physician, and Louisa Struss played Rachel Cotton, Annabelle's mother. Mm. Again, small cast. There are there are other people who are speaking roles like a priest at one point, I think, and someone people at the mm. funeral and stuff. Um, but no one too recognizable. Let's talk about the movie and the interesting premise here. Enoch is obviously going through a lot, and we mm. kind of meet him when he's funeral crashing, you know? Yes. Like- <laughs> Which when I read that, I was like, oh, this this doesn't sound, it sounds like really disrespectful, but it didn't. I think when you sort of found out why he was doing that, it makes sense. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. There's like a reading of this movie where it's kind of like Wedding Crashers, like he was funeral crashing, but he met a girl <laughs> he really liked, you know, like, no, like that's, that's <laughs> not what this is. Um, he's going through a lot, as mentioned in that back of the DVD thing. Um, mm. Both his parents have passed away. It's a tough time for him. We learn later that he's also not going to school uh, yes. for for related reasons. But mm. the movie really kicks into gear when he meets um, when he meets Annie, Annabelle, yeah. Cotton, um, <laughs> and she's the, again this quote unquote manic pixie dream girl who, if you read those reviews. That was a big criticism here. Like, oh, just another typical Manic Pixie Dream Girl movie. Um, and you're saying she doesn't feel like that to you. So, yeah, well, I sort of, I felt like she was going to, but I feel like she did actually seem more like a real person. And I think people could sort of go, because she's a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, she's like not that upset that she's dying. But I feel like she's kind of just, she's obviously been sick for a long time and she's just, trying to kind of accept it and get on with things as best she can because she knows she doesn't have all that long but like because I feel like some people might watch this and think they're both just like really casual about death but I feel like (laughs) clearly they're both a bit morbid but I sort of feel like that's justified especially in her case but I also feel like she does actually need to meet someone like Enoch because he's really morbid as well but at least it means she gets to talk about what's happening with someone who doesn't just try and go like no everything's fine you'll be better everything's but like he kind of just lets her talk about the reality of like planning her own memorial and that sort of stuff so yeah I feel like in other films she might have just seemed a bit like you know way too like casual about everything but it seems kind of grounded to me I feel like her attitude about everything yeah I I tend to agree with that I'm not someone who from doing this podcast I watch a lot of movies with a lot of tropes. So I'm not mm, someone who yeah. will shy away from tropes. Be like, oh, I've seen this before. I don't want to see it. Shona, you know this. If I had that attitude, I've seen it before. I don't want to see it. I would have quit by now. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're over 200 episodes now. Yeah. Yeah, you would have done like, you know, 10 episodes and gone, what? All right. Seen this already. <laughs> so yeah, I like when they do it different. But if they're going to do similar things, give me interesting characters. Give me an interesting mm. look. So, uh, is she, to me, a manic pixie dream girl? Yeah, but I also, yeah. to your point, I think he's kind of a manic pixie dream boy. To, and I think yes, they're just manic pixie dream people. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're manic yeah. pixieing each other. I don't know. Because <laughs> it's meant to kind of be like, oh, they're like really weird and like quirky. But I read one review and someone went, they look too cool to be like weird losers. Because <laughs> hey. they're both kind of like very like, you know, like on their date, she wears this very like chic sort of like, 60s kind of Mia Farrow looking like white dress and she's got this coat and like red gloves like it you know they're kind of quirky but they're trendy at the same time but I think I like that their quirkiness 
wasn't just like in place of having a personality which often happens in films like this but they actually had personalities so that apart from that so that that's always good <laughs> yeah, yeah i i 100 agree with that and also i just think their looks complemented the style of the film you know yeah. even, even the colors that they were using and the saturation and stuff i thought it fit in that world it wasn't just like random you know hipsters walking around wearing mm. hats you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those hipster hats <laughs> And just like kind of to that point of like the big criticisms of the tropes and the characters, I'm not always again against the manic pixie dream girl or dream boy thing. Yes, if it's played by one, if it's played one note here or there, I just think, Hmm. and if you read about, I'm I'm forgetting this writer's name and I apologize to this writer, but if you read about that writer who coined the term, Hmm. um, they later were like, you know, I kind of want to divorce myself from this because people took it way too far. And now mm-hmm. they, it, people just kind of say it. I think, I believe that writer even said it was kind of sexist that every time a woman portrayed a character that was similar to this, it was like, oh, mm-hmm. Manic Pixie Dream Girl, I'm not watching it. So I, I yeah. kind of think when this came out in 2011, there was a little bit of like labeling and that Manic Pixie Dream Girl fatigue. And. Mm. I just think we're over that in teen films these days. I think, again, go on Netflix, rent some Netflix films. Not, wait, I, that's a stupid way to say it because it sounds like you have to pay for them. <laughs> you don't have to rent them. Well, you have to pay the subscription. But yeah. still, yes. Stream some of these mm. Netflix teen films. And you tell me if people are being like, oh, I'm not watching that. It's a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. I also mm. think we love, we talk about this a lot on Twilight. People love to shit on things made for teens and or at least yeah and i think that's part of the reason that this got uh you know maybe criticized at the time or wasn't even marketed for teens again teen films don't premiere at at cans you know (laughs) yeah i think yeah this is probably definitely like a teen film for adults because it's more like a sort of arty film i guess than like a mainstream for teens kind of thing yes yes so so kind of is in this like weird world mm. that, that like i think and we'll, you know this is a new question on high school slumber party and we'll get into it a little bit more later but it's in that weird world where it's like it's a teen film but for adults who enjoy teen films you know yeah and i feel like it's similar in that way to the other dying girl film that i've done for this podcast because i that's the sense i sort of got from me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Like it's sort of more an indie kind of film that it's kind of for adults, it's kind of for teens, but it's sort of, yeah, because it's not like a big Hollywood kind of flashy production. So it's kind of for people that, yeah, adults sort of, I guess. But. Yeah, I sound like a broken record, but I know today that there's so much more of a market for this film than mm. there was in 2011. Okay, another character I want to ask you your opinion on, and that's Hiroshi. So one of the big uh, things in the trailer was the fact that Enoch, his best friend, is a ghost. We're not sure if he's imaginary or not. I'll save those questions for a little bit later. But a ghost of a kamikaze pilot. I, to be honest with you, was worried about this because I'm like, oh no, is this going to be like a really crappy stereotype? Like, what are they going to talk about? This is like mm. a white American boy imagining a Japanese person. <laughs> Possibly. Is it going to feel that way? But yeah, I mean, what did you think of Hiroshi? wonder where ghost horses go. 
What is it with girls and horses? I think it's the mane. Does she want to know about my military service? I don't think so. Don't think what? He wants to know if you want to know about his military service. Of course. Oh, good. It was 1941. I was at the top of my graduate uh, class. That's boring. You used to like that story. I've heard it a million times. Top of your class, chosen over hundreds of other pilots, dude. Does he miss flying? I do. He says he does. Wasn't he scared? You aren't allowed to be afraid. He said a little. No, I didn't. It was implied. Do you ever get to meet famous ghosts, like Ben Franklin or Napoleon or anything? We haven't met any other ghosts yet. Maybe you should take out a personal. <laughs> he says he likes your jacket. No, I didn't. Thank you, Hiroshi. He says he thinks you look really nice. I still don't know why she's just like a boy. He's very complimentary. <laughs> friendly ghost um you know i was a, yeah a bit worried that it might get a bit weird stereotypes or get a bit racist or something but i sort of felt like he was a good character because he was kind of the only person that enoch before annabelle would really sort of talk to about anything but he kind of wouldn't just let him get away with crap he'd kind of like tell him what he was doing wrong and like what he thought he should be doing with his life and i think he was definitely like a sort of confidant sort of character but yeah I'm glad they didn't really they didn't really do anything sort of stereotypical he was kind of just he happened to be a Japanese pilot but that sort of wasn't like the biggest thing about him he was sort of just and I like that there wasn't this big like complicated sort of explanation as to why he was there and why he could see him and because I hate when films get bogged down and that kind of stuff so it it was just like his ghost and we're just dealing with it and yeah but yeah i thought overall he was a a good character yeah i mean i ended up not feeling offended while watching it again i'm not asian or asian american so you know if it is offensive i will gladly be corrected about that and look maybe it's offended to people who were like oh i've you know fought in world war ii it's not right but like i didn't feel that way either and one mm-hmm. of the biggest reasons was, like, I was afraid they were going to play him as, like, funny. You know what I mean? Mm. Rather than just, like, a essentially Enoch's, like, conscious or, like, you know, someone to have this kind of dialogue with. I thought it was mm. just going to be, like, oh, silly. Like, when he would question, like, what is this in 2011? Like, we don't have this in Japan. Like, he, he, he said occasional things like that, but it wasn't, like, played for ha-has. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it was just a few things because he was from a different time period. So it was just things like I saw a Mitsubishi today and that's, you know, the plane that I flew in the war. and that. So I think it was just sort of noticing things in the world that were sort of similar things that had been in his life. It didn't seem like from a, like a cultural thing. It was more just sort of an observation of, you know, I mean, a completely different time. But there's a few things that remind me of my life before yeah yeah exactly like the fish out of waterness wasn't like wacky which 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 was nice to see so before we get to and i was so happy to see this for you before we get to a scene that depicts your favorite holiday (laughs) yes (laughs) was there anything in the film in this kind of like first 
30 minutes, 40 minutes that you wanted to talk about? Or should we just go to Halloween? Um, I'm just trying to think what happened in the first... I'm not saying I've forgotten the film. I'm just sort of like... No, but it's, it's kind of like... This, it's like a slow build. They meet, you know, uh, we learn that Annabelle likes mm. birds and stuff. And she's a naturalist and stuff. Yes. Can I see your drawings? Mm, not very good. I just like to do it. It's okay. I can barely draw a stick figure. Okay. This is Crocusiflus ritabundus, the black-headed gull. Her head is actually white in the winter, and she has these cool black streaks on her plumage. Um, that's the little-footed gull. Um, that one's not finished. Um, and Who's this guy? Oh, I really like him. Microphorus americanus, the American burying beetle. I like his little mustache. Yeah. He's pretty amazing. What makes him so amazing? Well, they can smell carrion from miles away, which is what death smells like. So basically, a male and female will show up at the body and kind of get to know each other. Then they work together to bury the carcass, and then they mate, and then she lays her eggs on it. But they aren't like other species, like bug species that just run away afterwards. They make a little chamber nearby underground, and then when the babies hatch, the parents go chew up the corpse and feed it to them. Isn't that amazing? They actually take care of their kids. Hmm. None of the secrets aren't most revealed. They kind of just start dating. Oh, I guess we also learn that she had, and it's important, but I feel like we've yeah, said it already. Yeah, she's got three months left to live. Yes. Oh, they have their first date, which I feel like maybe some of the reviews I don't think I spoke about it specifically, but I feel like people probably didn't like that. But they went, she took him on a date to the hospital, but then they went to the morgue. Yes, yes. <laughs> which sort of in, it sort of felt like it kind of fit in this, which is funny because like, like in Moxie, where they went on a date to a funeral home, that <laughs> kind of was weirdly out of nowhere and had no basis in anything. But this sort of made sense because like we've said, they're both quite sort of accepting and a bit, you know, morbid about death but it sort of could have seemed a bit disrespectful but then I feel like because a body had been brought in but clearly it was someone that Annabelle had known I think that like the adults that brought the body in sort of thought they were like these horrible like disrespectful teens but then the security guard came in and sort of went oh hi Annie and it was sort of all of a sudden it could have been this is like really awful and that they're doing this but it sort of became like quite a touching sort of moment for Annabelle because she was sort of I think she was just trying to, you know, come to terms with everything that was happening to her. But, but yeah, and then after that, she was starting to plan her memorial, which I just thought those scenes were kind of, could have been tacky, but... Oh, and then also when he was drawing the chalk outlines of their, like, you know, fake dead bodies on, on the road, but... <laughs> just to touch on the hospital thing, I, I'm in agreement with you. I didn't find it tacky or offensive at all, considering what they're going through he mm. just experienced death he's going to funerals she mm. has three months to live you know what i mean she's seeing other people in the hospital die that's not that weird it's not like they have a romantic candlelight dinner or lie yeah. lie in one of the you know the drawers if you will mm. like like uh in moxie when they like lay in the casket and like kind of like yeah you know, have some romantic moments there yes it was a first date but it wasn't like 
you know, they didn't have sex in there or anything like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's just par for the course with the the other things you said too, like planning her memorial and the chalk mm-hmm. outline drawings. This is just what they're doing, and they're commiserating with each other. Like I said, they're being manic pixie partners. So yeah, they just that's their thing. That's what they do. <laughs> and of course, people who are into this kind of stuff are going to enjoy and celebrate Halloween. So yay, we get a mm. Halloween scene, Shawnee. Mm. Yay. I didn't know we were going to get a Halloween scene, but I was like, oh, hello, <laughs> Halloween, this is fun. I mean, I will say that clearly if this movie was made today, those costume choices mm, probably shouldn't be happening anymore. Probably shouldn't have been happening at the time, but um, yeah, so I didn't. No, yeah, I mean, I, I love I, that. <laughs> for people who are so obsessed with death, yes, I guess a kamikaze mm-hmm. pilot is someone who would plummet to their death but it didn't feel like a morbid costume yeah i feel like for him it was because he was just dressing as hiroshi but yeah it, yeah. yeah so but... it wasn't it wasn't as bad for him it wasn't we were, we're not talking about you know it wasn't yellow face or anything like that we're not talking about a breakfast and tiffany's yeah. situation but unfortunately How... her costume <laughs> the geisha yes was doing that because it was the whole geisha thing and the painted face and all of that sort of thing like i mean it's sort of because he knew someone japanese it's sort of the costume didn't sort of feel like it came out of nowhere but i probably would have preferred if they dressed up as something else <laughs> yeah i i agree with that i think they had yeah. like uh i would have focused on death a little bit more you know mm. uh, because we're seeing it in every other scene but hey whatever Mm. that's what they chose there we got to see halloween so i'm not going to complain too much and on halloween that's where we learn why he was kicked out of high school and why Mm. he's kind of taking a break not just because their parents are dead but i guess he went back to school and the bullies made fun of him for it and he punched one of i say the bullies but like like we know who they are but they're just (laughs) a group of bullies the the bullies you know (laughs) we don't need to know who they are they're just those guys true and he Mm. punched him in the face and honestly i know you're not supposed to do that but i feel like they should be a little bit more sensitive and like also those guys should have faced some kind of justice because like you you know the guy the dude's going through a lot you know yeah i'm glad we sort of got a bit more sort of backstory i mean they were always hinting at it but we sort of kind of found out a bit more about enoch himself which then i feel like that the parents dying being kicked out of school that's why i feel like all the death stuff makes sense Mm -hmm. that that's what he's into right now but (laughs) and we'll we'll get like coming up we'll get a bunch of like morbid (laughs) you know morbid quirky death scenes (laughs) yeah that one was a big fake out i was like oh yes (laughs) before that like big fake death scene though we have like the scene in the woods they have like Mm. a kind of like woods chase where they're pretending they're other people and yeah she's the spirit of the world or whatever that <laughs> that was all just like okay this is definitely manic pixie dream people kind yeah of stuff. that like if you want to if you don't Skipping like the... through the woods <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like the manic pixie dream girl you're not gonna like this scene <laughs> you know again it wasn't yeah. a bad scene but like this is oh i was like yes exactly she's pretty much acting like a pixie she has the pixie haircut it's everything you know like yeah <laughs> <laughs> she's like uh the girl from garden state and mm. amelie and all these things like yeah. wrapped into one <laughs> prancing in the woods like <laughs> mm. 
I mean, he's following suit, though. Again, this is an evenly split, I think, Manic Pixie dream movie, as, as we've said. Yeah. But it does lead to their, uh, you know, they, they have a sex scene. But again, it's not like a, we're not talking like a Mickey Rourke early 90s, Kim Basinger kind of sex yeah, scene Yeah, it's here. like oh. a, you know, indie <laughs> art film, RT version that it gets blurry and then like, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I feel like in a lot of these films, they kind of like to throw that in but like oh poor like dying girl she's been sick all this time and like she's never had a boyfriend and like isn't this like he's just giving her this gift but i felt like it didn't seem like that like it's no of, it didn't she might have you know had boyfriends before like we kind of i think later she talks to the sister and said i wish i'd had a lot of boyfriends like you but it, she might have you know had one before like she's a teen like it didn't just seem like he's just giving her this like you know gift before she like <laughs> departs the earth because like isn't that so sad she's never like felt love but I sort of didn't feel like that's what they were saying. Like it was sort of just like, you know, she might have slept with someone before. Like it, you know, but wasn't that whole like soft lighting and piano and like, you know, no. it was a pity thing because he was like, you know. <clears throat> no, and it and it wasn't che- cheesy like Teen Witch or anything like that. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. Oh, yeah. No it didn't feel that. Thank goodness. <laughs> it didn't feel forced. Like, it, I mean, it just felt, yeah. it felt very natural after having like their, you know, woodland... <laughs> romping around Mm. it just felt like something that would happen and i just i can't believe they snuck into some like random dude's cabin and then (laughs) yeah Yeah, that was a bit rude like he just came in in the morning was like okay i was just trying to come in and go to work but (laughs) you know this guy has a gun too like that that i would be really Mm. afraid being in this cabin because he seemed like a hunter that's what i thought like like this was his like, like hunting lodge or whatever oh man yeah. but whatever whatever i guess he didn't shoot them obviously mm. <laughs> that would have been a very very different movie but a subsequent scene is that the fake death thing where he shows up with a couple books she's really into darwin and books from naturalist if you will yeah and he just walks in her home and she's on the ground with these gloves uh, and you think she's dead, and it was like, no. Mm. They, they were just staging their <laughs> kind of Romeo and Juliet death double suicide moment. I was I like, whoa. That I was like, oh, what is happening? This is terrible. <laughs> why? And then I was like, why is no one else here? I was like, now like, her family's not there, and like no one's going to... He's just there, and she's died. And I was like, this is terrible. What about his sister? And because the, the scene had sort of come just off the back of... They'd had like a sort of happy music like montage and for a bit, where they were kind of... Yeah, you know, just running around being happy, being like a couple, and it wasn't anything about death, and they weren't. I mean, they were in, you know, cycling around a graveyard, that sort of thing. But there was a very like arty kind of, you know, young indie couple in love being like, you know, montage thing. And then yeah, he was just walks up the street in his smoking jacket, and I was like, this is too soon. Why is she dying already? <laughs> this is terrible. Like, we've got like forty minutes to go. What's going on? <laughs> and then I thought, why was she just like? so dressed up if she was just in the house and like no one's there and she's we should have known we should have known that her sister would be around her like and yeah then she was talking about like the bird and how like you know it sung its song every morning because it was happy to be alive and then she sort of died and then he all of a sudden was trying to like you know enact some seppuku there on the floor like gutting himself (laughs) and then i was like oh good she's opened her eyes she's sitting up now they're like having an argument (laughs) (laughs) goodness she's not but i felt like the argument bit i feel like that felt shoehorned in it just seemed very the trope of we're happy for a bit yes she's dying but we're sort of a couple and we're trying not to think about it but then 
I feel like all these movies go, there has to be like the fight where all of a sudden, like we find out that the other person's not okay with it. Like, I just felt like it could have done without that sort of, I don't think they needed to have that argument and yeah. sort of break up because it just then did that annoying. We're going to let him have like a complete kind of selfish spiral thing where he's going to just like yell at Annabelle and he's going to yell at Hiroshi and he's going <laughs> to smash the shit out of his parents' grave and like yell at his auntie. And like, it just sort of went, it just felt very like self-indulgent and it sort of kind of all the goodwill that we'd kind of built up for Enoch in that sort of like 20 minute sort of stretch kind of just went out the window because he was just kind of being an ass. <laughs> yeah, we definitely see this a lot. And look, I get it. Yeah. It's it's hard to process death. Mm. But even movies today are doing this like we have to fight scene. Even the movies that are not about death. I, I mean, one yeah. I keep bringing up is like book smart, a lot lower stakes than this. But they just like have that big fight at the party and everyone's yeah. watching. Um, this is something that I feel like filmmakers like they feel like they need to do and maybe they do i don't know i have never made a hollywood screenplay but give me something different because i think you were right i was sitting on my couch too and being like you know what i know this fight is coming yes and i get it's hard to process death like i would have even taken i like i'm not so pissed off that he was selfish necessarily Mm. because i I knew it was coming. I guess that's why. Like, yeah, you know, maybe having that argument with the doctor. Sure. Even though it was lame, like make her better. Like, like he's not trying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then because we knew that he'd like punched someone before, I thought he was going to start beating the doctor up. And I was like, a bit. (laughs) I think the doctor was concerned about that as well. Like his face was sort of like, I feel like this boy is going to like beat me to death with this phone or something like that. In his weird funeral outfit. (laughs) I don't get why he had to have the fight with her, you know? Like, why did yeah. they kind of break up? Uh, aside for just conflict, like, what was, what was their reasoning mm. here? Um, I mean, what did you take was the reasoning for this? I don't, because it seemed like the argument kind of came out of nowhere, because, like, she wanted to do kind of like a, you know, perfect death scene thing, and clearly they'd written the script, and then all of a sudden he just didn't want to do what she wanted to do anymore, and then he was just like, uh, I think he was kind of like, eh, I don't want to do that. That's stupid. Like he just sort of was like nitpicking for the sake of it, but then got all the, and then he went like, I'm done. I'm out of here. And she didn't think she was kind of like, what is your deal? Like we were just doing a death scene thing that we agreed on. And now you're kind of just like making an argument for like, you're just arguing with me for the sake of it. But yeah, felt, probably to her, it just felt like he was kind of throwing it all back in her face. Cause she, I mean, I of, get it from her perspective. It just... Yeah. She was <laughs> dealing with it the best she could, but she sort of thought that, you know, he said that he was dealing with it and he, like, understood the realities of it all. But then, I don't know, it just seemed like he was kind of throwing it back in her face. So, like, I mean, I get why she was annoyed, but it just sort of, it didn't need to happen in the first place. But, I mean, obviously they wanted it too because they wanted him to have kind of, like, a full-on spiral, which maybe he kind of needed because then he sort of, once he got over all of that, he kind of was more coming to terms with it all I guess so he kind of was dealing with his parents death and all of that he has an argument right with uh Hiroshi and yes they they get into a fight smashing the gravestone and then I don't remember I think Hiroshi's going like you know you've just taken it way too far you're just like you know you don't respect the dead like you know because I mean smashing his parents grave that was (laughs) really awful because then it was sort of just like you've left me and like why can't i go with you and like i hate you and 
but then I think Hiroshi was just like this like enough is enough like you're just why do you you're think you're doing it <laughs> how do you think he ended up at the hospital obviously Hiroshi whether he's a ghost or in his head mm. didn't actually harm him so what uh did he have a breakdown you think and they just like found him there did they say why um well, I don't know because then it clearly like his neck didn't have any bruises on it or anything because Hiroshi was definitely you know strangling him so he seemed like he blacked out from that but maybe I suppose because even though Hiroshi is a ghost I get he can <laughs> touch Enoch so it's sort of to him he sort of is tangible so maybe even though it didn't show any marks on his neck maybe him sort of throttling him did actually make him black out and maybe someone found maybe. him the next morning because he looked like he had sort of like a bump on his head or something so maybe he yeah I feel like that it was Hiroshi doing that but yeah <laughs> i'm chuckling a little because i'm imagining someone mm. listening to this podcast probably a lot of people and not mm. having watched the movie and they're like wait wait the wait, what? The, <laughs> the, by a ghost? yeah the That's kamikaze right? ghost strangled him and he's in the hospital mm. <laughs> but yeah you know he winds up in the hospital and mm. she's in the hospital because you know for obvious reasons uh she had kind of had uh, an, an attack oh yes that awful bit because then she was like sorting the Halloween candy and then having a talk with their sister. That bit was awful because they were just kind of like talking about boys and bags and like going, you know, I wish I could have been a bit more like you and that sort of stuff. And then she kind of just like collapsed like on the table. Like that bit was really stressful because it had been kind of just a casual sister conversation sorting chocolate. Like Yeah, I didn't think it was going to happen there. Like they weren't even hinting at it happening there. Um... Yeah. So I'm glad that that because then we find that the doctor comes back in and he gives Enoch Annabelle's favorite book. But then it sort of, because then I was like, oh God, has she died? And like, he hasn't known and he's just getting the book and he's finding out now. I was thinking like, he's going to get even more like off the rails in a minute. <laughs> yeah. But that it was more like a kind of Annabelle had, you know, knew he was in the hospital and went, could you give him this book and like tell him where I am? So at least they kind of, I'm glad that they were able to fix their sort of relationship before she died because it would have been awful if they'd sort of you know made her die like off camera and then they'd never been able to resolve anything so I was sort of glad that and also for her that she was able to he kind of stopped being an ass and for her he was actually there just supporting her you know sort of till the end like he said he would so I was glad that that for Annabelle that that happened. Why do you think um as this is going on uh, Hiroshi disappears for a little bit. It's not for long, but... Yeah, I feel like maybe because after their argument and stuff, because then they had a, they were talking in the hospital, I feel like maybe because he felt that Enoch had sort of... was finally coming to terms with it, and perhaps he didn't need Hiroshi anymore, because then Hiroshi gave him his letter. I think mm. he sort of, like, imparted that sort of wisdom of, you know, don't... if you have something you want to say, don't not say it just you know live your life and say it and that as i write this letter the ocean breeze feels cool on my skin that very ocean is soon to be my grave they tell me i will die a hero that the safety and honor of my country will be the reward for my sacrifice i pray they are right my only regret in life is never telling you how i feel I wish I were back home. I wish I were holding your hand. 
I wish I were telling you that I have loved you and only you since I was a boy, but I am not. I see now that death is easy. It is love that is hard. As my plane dives, I will not see the face of my enemies. I will instead see your eyes like black rocks frozen in rainwater. They tell us that we must scream banzai as we plunge into our target. I will instead whisper your name. And in death, as in life, I will remain forever yours. Ensign Hiroshi Takahashi. I felt like that was kind of like Enoch didn't need him anymore. And he sort of felt like maybe he was all right. So he kind of wasn't his ghost anymore. Maybe. Me- that's fair. Uh, and we get the scene a little bit later, uh, you know, mm. they're together and so I say, I should, you know, pronouns. Come on, Brian. Um, Enoch, <laughs> Enoch and Annabelle are together. And that's when she's mm-hmm. like, I got to go soon, Birdie. Yeah. And Hiroshi kind of appears this time in like a suit, like, you know, something like you might wear to a funeral or whatever. Yeah. And, and he says he's going to escort. Essentially, he says he's going to escort. Annabelle to wherever it is and one of the big moments of this film just to backtrack a little bit is <laughs> is Enoch's just questioning of the afterlife and death in general like he mm. he doesn't believe in it despite the fact that he talks to a ghost um, <laughs> theoretically uh, because yeah. he was technically you know I would believe it was the same accident as his parents he was technically mm. dead for a couple minutes and saw nothing came back and that really like struck his faith, you know, and what happens after death. But mm. he blames some of this on his feelings and his anger because you know he this here's this beautiful, wonderful person he's met, and her life mm. is just going to come to an end. But then you have a scene here with Hiroshi kind of saying, whatever the afterlife is, you know, that's not clear. But he's, you know, implying. And so, so just correct me if I'm wrong. She can see him here. Yeah, and because yeah, before. Enoch had told Annabelle all about Hiroshi, so she kind of believed him that he was real. Even though then when they fought, he like went, he's not real, I made it up, I was just like making shit up. But I think she always sort of knew that he was there. But that's why I feel like in this bit, because Hiroshi's wearing a different Mm -hmm. outfit and all of a sudden Annabelle can see him. I feel like, yeah, it is sort of Enoch doesn't need Hiroshi anymore and maybe Hiroshi now gets to kind of move on as well. And maybe by giving Enoch his letter, that was sort of his unfinished business or something. So maybe he's kind of, because now I get to move on, I'll, you know, take Annabelle with me so she's not alone. (laughs) Yeah, there's kind of some unspoken guardian angel tropes that we've seen in in Mm. films before. Like just all the way back. What's the Christmas movie I'm forgetting right now? Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Oh, it's a wonderful yeah, um, life. It's, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful life. life. Yes. yes. <laughs> from from it's a wonderful life to mm. um you know other stuff where there's like a guardian angel and it's not necessarily like that's their job. It's like oh, here's a soul who, you know, to even the movie Soul that came out for Pixar is a similar mm. thing like oh, I just saw that last night. Oh wow, coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> to cross mm. over into, you know, whatever plane there is. We don't need to get metaphysical today or whatever, but mm. whatever plane there is, like maybe there are certain souls that have to do a duty. And yeah. maybe maybe Hiroshi had done his duty and now he's doing his other... I don't know. 
But it did make it kind of, I think, I feel like the film, you're right, the film did make it a statement like, this wasn't just in his head. Hiroshi's mm-hmm. an actual an actual ghost, which I found yeah. super, super fascinating, you know? Mm. I think I know the answer to this, but were you okay not seeing her, like, actual death scene? Yeah, I thought about that, and I did, like, because I hate in the big kind of Hollywood kind of films like this that the scene it's just always this big awful like melodramatic scene and they like die and everyone's in there and everyone's crying and all of that which I kind of I hate that I sort of felt I liked with this that instead they'd had their kind of last conversation she was like you know I have to go soon and that sort of she was okay about it but he was finally like actually okay about it but yeah I liked that instead we just got these like really beautiful shots in the snow of like all of the locations in the film where they'd met and all the funerals they'd been to and everything they'd done together. And then we just got Hiroshi's letter in the background. So I actually felt that was sort of, I preferred that it was because then it felt like, okay, we can tell that Annabelle has gone, but yeah, I liked that it was sort of peaceful. It seemed sort of more respectful that it wasn't this big dramatic, you know, Annabelle death scene with everyone screaming and crying and go like don't leave and so I I liked that and I thought the scenes were really pretty like in the snow of all the places in Portland so it just yeah I preferred it that way yeah I'm with you I think we already got our resolution I feel like the movie also tells you that um so so when it's it's we're at her funeral and it's a funeral she's been planning with a bar of like you know milkshakes and burgers ooh, and ooh. tacos and <laughs> I was hungry. Those funeral snacks. I know, and all the kids were trying to like grab all the snacks, and parents were like hitting their hands. I was like, you have one thing, and they're like, no, but but Annabelle said I could. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not in the business right now to plan my own funeral. No one get worried out there, <laughs> but you know, I got ideas here. I got ideas from this, as, mm. as morbid as that is. Ooh, what a nice snack! But you know what? I'd rather enjoy it. <laughs> in life so uh yes <laughs> um, and yeah it was sort of enoch for one for the first time in the whole film wasn't wearing black oh good call good call because it harkened back to their conversation at the first funeral where she went like you know people don't wear black at these things anymore like don't you know that like everyone wants to wear color at funerals now but i mean it's not color but he's not wearing a black suit yeah basically he says he says to the sister he's like can i say something she's like sure obviously you were her boyfriend <laughs> you know um, <laughs> and, and we don't see what he says and maybe he doesn't say anything at all, but that's when we get that really nice montage. And it's almost like mm. saying like, dude, you already had your resolution. You already had your finality to it. And he, yeah. he, here it is. And it was nice and it's beautiful. And yeah, you mm. can move on. Kind of not, you know what I yeah. mean? I'm not supposed to be like, like hey, let me get a girlfriend tomorrow. Not like that, but you know, yeah, but he sort of, I think he'd finally dealt with his parents, what had happened to him, Annabelle and all of that. But I did like that because often in these sort of films, like the dying person imparts this sort of like amazing sort of like life-changing wisdom. And the person like goes like, oh, you know, I'll keep you in my heart and I'll live on forever with the lessons you've taught me. <laughs> but I like that kind of the lessons that he got didn't come from Annabelle. They were from Hiroshi. Like he was actually the one imparting the like, you know, them to take into his life. And from the little reading, it came from a ghost. But if you want to read it as like, it was in his mind or it was i don't know yeah but i'm glad it wasn't sort of like you know before her big death like annabelle imparted this like amazing no no exactly exactly they always do that and it's sort of like but why like it's that sort of 
And that would be more yeah. manic pixie dream girl if she had said, like, live your life yeah. wisely and truthfully. But, you mm. know, the Hiroshi thing, I guess my point is, it's largely coming from himself. Yeah. And, and that makes it, like, you know, when we do go through these terrible moments of death, yes, the healing, other people can help us, but the biggest healing comes from within, mm. within ourselves. So, like, that I, that's how I took it to me. And that's, again, something I really, really enjoyed about the film. Yeah, I did as well. Because I also hate in films that films always do that about, like, really sick people or people that are dying. They always do the, like, they're these, like, amazing, like, brave kind of people. But it's really, like, if you're really unwell, you don't feel brave. And when people keep telling you how brave you are and, like, you know, or then when people just go, like, but, you know, at least you're better now. Like, you sort of go, but I don't feel very brave and I don't want to have to feel brave because I'm not, mm. I don't feel very good and I want other people to sort of, you know, let me lean on them with that sort of stuff because, you know, like, I don't feel like I'm being brave. I'm just, I have to get through this because I want to keep going, but I'm really unwell. Movies always do that and it's kind of like, you know, as someone who's been unwell with things like before and it's kind of, you don't feel like that at the time. And everyone's like, you're so brave and it's so amazing, you're better now. And everyone's just like, I'm actually just trying to get on with my with my day. But <laughs> And I'm not this big, like, you know, wise person. That, but movies always sort of, like, you know, romanticise, like, dying people or sick people. Or <laughs> For sure. Like, as if mm. being theoretically, like, in this case, um, cl- like, closer to death, like, you're closer to, you know, some kind of heavenly wisdom or whatever yeah and, and i think and like movie... you have to always support the people that are still going to be there but actually the person themselves needs the support because they're scared <laughs> for sure for sure yeah uh, i mean that's a that's a really good call um again i'm glad that this movie went away from that which is as we talk it mm-hmm. out the hiroshi character is so important and so much more than the silly comic relief that i thought it might be so mm-hmm. i was very very happy about that so shawnee we've been asking some uh new questions here on high school slumber party this year so first one and you kind of already answered it but who was this movie for who do you think was the intended audience for this film um yeah we did sort of touch on i feel like because at the time there weren't heaps of teen film i feel like this probably was sort of one of those indie kind of art housey type films that are probably for adults because i feel like if this when this was in the cinema i don't feel like there were a, like you know a heap of like mainstream teen audiences like you know racing in to go and see this <laughs> yeah yeah no and again yeah. we t- we touched on this but i completely agree and i think there's potential for this film to get a second life on a streaming service Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for that. That would be, you know, really great for the people who worked really, really hard on this film. Um, this is such an unknown film. Obviously, you didn't know it. I didn't know it. Everyone I asked about it didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think it was originally intended for that artsy cans crowd. And mm. maybe it was it shouldn't have been, you know. Okay, most likely to succeed. So who won the movie here? I think it's kind of an obvious one, but maybe you have a different answer. I mean, I guess it has to be Enoch, because he's kind of the only one left. Because yeah. Annabelle's sister wasn't 
in it that much. So I guess it has to be Enoch. <laughs> has to be, has to be, right? Like maybe if yeah. if he died and Annabelle was alive, it would be Annabelle. But you can't say Annabelle yeah. won. You know, <laughs> like that would be. No, and I mean, she wasn't able to go on and, you know, succeed because <laughs> she couldn't go on anymore. But yeah, so it's going to have to be Enoch. <laughs> Wooderson Award. Is there a character here you would have liked to see more of? I don't know. I sort of feel like it wouldn't have worked if, like, another character had been bigger, if, like, the aunt had been a bigger character or there was more of the sister. Like, I just feel like it... I don't think it would have worked all that well. I'm glad you brought up the aunt. The sister, I thought she was in it the perfect amount. Uh, Mm. Now, when I created the long duck dong award if you would have made me guess who would it be in this movie i would have been like oh it's definitely going to be hiroshi but it really <laughs> ends up not being hiroshi and i wrote down uh, the ant for this film i actually like jane adams i think she's a really talented actor but i don't know if we needed that element where he's like uh, there's that scene where he's like i blame you for this because they were going to your award it's like what mm. what like i i know I get it, and I know people tend to do that in those times, but that to me came out of nowhere. Like, he was just... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking of, um, again, another Frasier, another Frasier <laughs> veteran here, but in the film Jumanji, like the original Jumanji, their <laughs> their parents die, and then B.B. Uh, Newith pl- plays like the aunt, and she's just like the caretaker, and she seems a little out of place. And they're not necessarily blaming her, but the kids are disconnected to her because that's not their parent. Their parent just died. So I thought yeah. his, his disconnection was something like that. Like, this isn't my real mom and dad right here. This yeah. is like an aunt who's taking care of me. I didn't need the fact, like, I'm blaming you kind of thing. So, yeah, I didn't need that. And then, that like, the first dinner they had together, she went, like, why don't you call me Aunt Mabel anymore? So obviously only recently had he kind of started to, like, disconnect more from her or he was just happy letting her know that he was doing that but again it's no i have no issue with the performance or whatever just not enough time is devoted to it but i don't need more time devoted to it let her let her just be an uncomfortable aunt raising him right now because (laughs) because of Mm. what happened it doesn't need to be like he like resents her and it's just part of it so yeah that's my long duck dong award uh, (laughs) choice and it's not her fault yeah (laughs) And again, if you're not familiar, the Longer Dong Award is for a character whose omission would make the film better. Mm. Cameron Fry Award. Was any did did any of the principals here look too old to be a high schooler? Uh no, because we only had two and they, you know, looked teenager enough. I'm assuming they were probably both like, you know, twenty at the time. I don't yeah, know. She, but... she was twenty, twenty one, and he was, let's see. What's his name again? Sorry. Hopper. Henry Hopper. Henry Hopper. Oh, I forgot he has no Wikipedia. That's why I well, He was probably about... They looked the same age, so they were, you know... I think it was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing crazy there. We didn't see... Like, so they didn't look like 4D or anything, so that was... Uh... <laughs> okay, so this is going to be, I think, some something where we are going to deviate from the critics, but Rotten Tomatoes, 38% by the critics, 48% by the audience, 3.1 out of 5 stars on Letterboxd. But Shawnee, we don't care about that. I'm going to hand you the old report card. Uh, A plus to F scale. What will you grade? Restless. Um, I 
think what did I give it? I think I gave it four stars, but I feel like maybe a B plus A minus kind of territory, but probably like a B plus, I think. Yeah. B plus. So I gave it the high end. I gave it the solid B, maybe teetering on B+, but I'm going to stick with my B. And I think mm. it was a movie that it really exceeded my expectations. I was expecting like something. Mm. From what I was hearing, it just like, oh, that movie seems lame. Or Yeah, it, I just thought I was going to hate it. Like I, <laughs> That's what I was kind of expecting. So I was uh, pleasantly surprised that I didn't, and I enjoyed it. I'd probably watch it again. Maybe not right away, but like I feel like, yeah. See, like like I said, I think it has a second life in it somewhere. I'm hoping it does. So mm. Netflix, Amazon, something else, if you're listening, <laughs> put this on streaming and promote it because I think a lot of people would like it. Okay, Sleeping Bag. This is an interesting question because this was a very, very beautiful movie. Shawnee, what does your restless theme Sleeping Bag look like? Um... I don't know. I feel like maybe it's got like a forest pattern on it or something. Like a forest in the snow, that sort of thing. Just to like, you know. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I mm. I know I'm going to go a little too obvious here, but give me the chalk outline drawings of them on the ground. You know, that, <laughs> mm. that's, that's my sleeping bag. I liked how that looked. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite question every week. You and I were in the magical blockbuster video in the mm-hmm. sky <laughs> oh dear <laughs> it has why have we died <laughs> no oh well thematic today maybe hiroshi's mm. with us who knows but <laughs> it has every movie that has ever existed up until this point we know yeah. that we are renting restless today what mm-hmm. two other movies should we rent with this to make it a triple feature for our restless slumber party ah that Restless Slumber Party, I like it. <laughs> Restless Slumber Party. Um, all right, I feel like, well, I feel like we should watch Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. But I feel like we should watch that first because I always cry. So um, <laughs> You want to cry we, first, okay. We'll just get it out of the way. I don't want to like yeah. end the Slumber Party boiling my eyes out. So we'll start with that. Then we'll watch Restless because I didn't cry. Um, then I feel to just really like lighten the tone. While still being relevant, I think we'll watch Casper. <laughs> Casper, love it. <laughs> Friendly Ghost. And then we can finish on that and then be like, see, that's fun. We can get back into the fun slumber party spirit. Spirit. Oh, spirit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're on a roll today. I, <laughs> I would love someone, who, and I know it's never going to happen because the movie was not big enough, but I would love someone who is very talented to replace Hiroshi with Casper for some scenes. <laughs> <laughs> like Casper uh, giving him life advice and stuff. Uh, uh. <laughs> well, Shawnee, I can't thank you enough for hopping on last mm-hmm. minute and and doing restless with me here because again, no one stepped up to a plate. Shame on you, slumberers. <laughs> but you know, I'm glad you liked it. I'm happy I liked it as well. And I, mm. I you know, in hindsight, I mean, you were always a great guest, but. I, I think we had more to talk about than I thought we would. <laughs> mm. I thought it was yes. just going to be like, oh, I'm sorry for making you cry again by making <laughs> by making you watch another movie where someone dies. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but yeah, so I'm, re- again, super glad to have you on. We'll have you on again for some other things this year. 
Unfortunately, one of those might be the third Kissing Booth film. We'll see. Uh, we'll no. see when it takes place. Don't <laughs> we ha- make me. We, ha- we have to kill it. We have to kill it unless they make Kissing Booth 4. Uh, I mean, there were news that there's going to be a To All the Boys series, potentially. So, uh, yes, a spinoff with Kitty. With Kitty. I hope there's no Kissing Booth spinoff with uh, Tuppin or something. Oh, uh, <laughs> she has a sibling. Maybe they'll like do it. And then he'll do a kissing booth as well. <laughs> well. We don't have to watch that because luckily you don't cover television on this. So yes, <laughs> yes. I do not have the time to cover television. Maybe when I'm in my, my 60s or something and I finally have yeah. exhausted all films. But <laughs> who knows, who knows. Well, once again, thanks, Shoni. Anywhere, where would you like people to follow you, find you? And is there anything else you'd like to say? Um. Well, as usual, I'm just at... Shawnee Mead on Twitter. I don't really post as much film stuff on there lately, probably because I'm really busy that I've now gone back to university. So I don't have as much Twitter time, but um, yeah, I'm sure I'll be posting the link to this episode, that sort of thing. But yeah, there's not really anywhere else people can follow me, but I'm sort of, yeah, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again for, for being able to do this and can't wait to have you on again. Can't wait to be back. Thanks again. <laughs> Big thank you to Shoni, as always, but especially this week for stepping up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to have her on again, and not just for The Kissing Booth 3, which, unfortunately, is a high school movie. <laughs> More on that this summer. Wow. Guys, we did it. We did it. We watched every single Gus Van Sant high school movie, five of them. Oh, if you didn't listen to them and you did not do your homework, shame on you, but go back, listen to them at cageclub.me or wherever you get your podcasts. And it's about that time I assign you your homework for Monday, and we're going to keep it in the education medical realm. We're going to keep it in the intelligence realm. I'm making words up because I can. I'm your teacher. Let's do it. Monday, we're talking one of the best movies from 2020. One of the best movies, I think. It was not nominated. It should have been nominated. It's not a movie that's going to make you feel good, but it's a great movie. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. I didn't see you at school today. I went to the doctor. What's wrong? Girl problems. Don't you ever just wish you were a dude? All the time. This is the most magical sound you will ever hear. Down beneath the ashes and I'm just not ready to be a mom. Where else could you go? Nowhere in Pennsylvania. I think you should try another place. You going to New York? What are you doing there? Seeing family and stuff. Used to be on Who came with you today? My cousin. Do you have a place to stay tonight? I know you came from far away. I'll figure it out. This area's closed. Do not sleep here. Where's the rest of the money? La, 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 la. I want to make sure that you're safe. La, la. This is hard. 
ask you some questions. It can be really personal. Just answer either never, rarely, sometimes, or always. And of course, we're going to be covering this film for High School Slumber Party AP with Island Addington. It's our second episode ever of that, and oh my goodness, it's going to be a heavy one. As uh, Kyle, the foodie films man who's sitting with me right now, and and I like to say, we got it from Bill Burr on his podcast about Phyllis Lemire Hoffman's films, it's going to be a bumpy road. <laughs> yeah, fucking bumpy road. <sighs> That's... This is a bumpy road film, but I'll go on record on saying it's one of the best, if not the best film of 2020. It really didn't get recognized, so do your homework, watch it, and Monday, we're going to be chatting about it, Aislinn and I, so check that out. Another round, best film. Another round, though. Woo! That's another one. Bumpy road. That's a bumpy road film, too. A much brighter ending, though, in that film. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, so... It's about that time where I gotta do my yawn and hit the hay, and Kyle and I are gonna hit the town of Asheville, North Carolina, safely and responsibly, of course. So let me give you a song from the soundtrack of the film we just talked, Restless. The song is Bon Ivers, Wisconsin. Later, dudes. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.